Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, who is an expert in mergers and acquisitions and helping people buy and sell their businesses. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Michelle. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a brief bio of you and kind of how you got the experience to do what you do today. Sure. So I've been in mergers and acquisitions for a little over 20 years. I've personally sold over 500 companies. My firm altogether has sold over 1,000 over the 20 past years. Uh, Before mergers and acquisitions, I had a franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting company. I've owned many different businesses in different verticals. And um, like I said, I've been in M&A for 20 years. We really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. We partner with business owners, investing my capital, core competencies, resources. We buy businesses and flip them. We fix businesses, grow them, put them on the road to sell program. And we sell companies and we merge companies together. So that's quite a mouthful, right, Jordan? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. So let's kind of start with a broad view of business today. So we've, we've gone through, we're still in the middle of the pandemic uh, and how has that affected the buying and selling of businesses where we've been through the last year and a half? So last year, 2020 was extremely slow. It was, it was extremely slow for everybody. Uh, sellers, you know, were on the fence. Buyers didn't, didn't want to pull the trigger. Nobody really wanted to do anything because not only did we have the pandemic last year, we also had the election, right? So it was an extremely slow year last year. This year, there's so much activity in mergers and acquisitions. In fact, there's so much activity that most of the private equity groups have anywhere from 10 to, to, to 15 deals in their pipeline that they're currently doing due diligence on. So there's a tremendous amount of activity, kind of like there is in the real estate industry. But that's for that's for larger deals. That's for middle market deals. On the small business side, uh, it's much slower because uh, a lot of businesses are suffering. A lot of industries are surf- suffering uh, in a smaller type arena. So those businesses are moving a lot slower. There are turnaround specialists that are gobbling some of these companies up for pennies on a dollar. Um, but metal market's where it's at right now. And like I said, it's it's feast or famine. I mean, there's so many buyers. There's, you know, at any given time, there's probably 50 to 100 buyers for one transaction. Wow. That's a lot. So let's let's take it from the buyer and seller point of view. From the buyer's point of view, why would this be a good time to buy uh, a private company? Well, there's five different types of buyers. So when we're talking about middle market, that's going to be private equity groups. They buy based on platforms and add-ons, strategic slash competitors, and sophisticated entrepreneurs that chase cash flow. Um, the reason that there, there's just so much money right now that they've been sitting on since 2020, that they're, they've been trying to buy businesses and the activity was so poor last year because the market was so, it was so, it, the market wasn't slow, but it was so slow in M&A. So buyers right now just, there's so many of them trying to acquire these businesses. And like I said, there's probably anywhere from 50 to 100 uh, buyers for each company. Um, did that answer your question, Jordan? So you're almost, it's almost like a bidding war. It's almost like what's happening in real well, it's estate. It's always been a bidding war. It's always been a bidding war when you have companies that have over a million dollars in EBITDA. The sweet spot really for private equity groups when they're looking at platforms are EBITDA that's over $3 million. So when we get companies, and we have many of them that we work with, when we um, work with companies that are over $3 million in EBITDA, we know we're going to bring 
hundreds of buyers to the table. We know we're going to disclose them. We're going to qualify them. They're going to look at the business and we're going to get several LOIs out of that. And sometimes we'll run a structured auction. Sometimes we'll run an unstructured auction. But yeah, it's 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 always been a bidding war because even way before the pandemic. And the reason why it's always been a bidding war for middle market businesses is because there's more buyers for these great businesses with $3 million and up in EBITDA than there are businesses to buy. Yeah. So now let's take it from the seller's point of view. So say you're a business that was doing okay for a long time. You got hit by the pandemic. You had to close down or it, it hurt your business badly. Are you kind of selling a bargain basement and you're, you're, you know, you're selling it for a lot less than you think it's really worth? But probably, you know, it really depends upon, I mean, that's a hard question to answer because it depends upon the owner, you know, uh, the restaurant industry took a huge hit. So there's a, a tremendous amount of restaurant owners that are closing down and they just can't afford to, to keep their doors open. Uh, some of them are selling for pennies on a dollar to turn around specialists. Some of them are just closing. Some of them are unfortunately having to file bankruptcy. And that's, you know, a pretty prevalent problem in, in the smaller type restaurants, retail businesses, et cetera, that got really hurt from this pandemic. Yeah. So how is the the growth of big businesses? I mean, Amazon thinking has really hurt a lot of retailers or a lot of the big businesses seem to have gotten bigger during the pandemic and hurting medium and small size businesses. Is that what you're saying too? Yes, absolutely. But you know, that was even before the pandemic, but it's even more so now. So Amazon, here's the bottom line. Amazon changed the way that consumers purchase products, right? Because they make it so easy to practically buy anything and have it delivered in two days. And then Amazon acquired Whole Foods. So now you can buy groceries. And and that was really because of the pandemic. So Amazon changed the buying habits of the consumers first and foremost. Then the pandemic comes along and that really changes the buyer habits of consumers because now we don't want to go to the grocery store, nor do we need to go to the grocery store. Since Whole Foods started delivering, Target and Walmart both stepped up. They initiated a membership program where you can order groceries order groceries online and have them delivered to your doorstep. So, yes, it is hurting uh, some of the smaller retail stores and some of the smaller grocery stores. But a lot of the bigger chains like, you know, Publix and Rouse's and some of the bigger chain grocery stores are starting to um, innovate and so they can compete. Yeah. What are some of the successes, the, the reasons for success of small businesses that find a niche compared to all these big giants that seem to be controlling business these days? Well, the reason for success is always two things, three things. Find a problem and solve it, right? Rather, you're a small company or a big company. Find a problem and solve it. Always continue to innovate and always continue to market. And so many businesses, I don't know if you know this, but when I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and was flabbergasted. Well, it wasn't really flabbergasted because I learned that 90% of all startups would fail within the first one to five years. But when I wrote Exit Rich, it just came out, I did the exact same research. And there I was flabbergasted to learn that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. And most people don't know this. It's only 30% of businesses that will go out of business now. Startups. Startups are not at great risk. Only 30% of startups will go out of business. However, out of 27.6 million companies that have been in business for over 10 years, 70% of them will go out of business. 70%. You hear about the big public companies all the time in the media, like Toys R Us and Business 75 Years goes out of business. They're a big company. Pier One, Steinmart, uh, Kmart. 
You got GNC closing down 1,500 locations. The Disney store is closing down its locations. So you got Godiva Chocolate closing down 1,500 locations. And... But the, but the public, the media doesn't really talk about the private businesses. You know, these businesses that are, these businesses that are um, having to sell for pennies on the dollar, they're exiting poor, closing their business altogether, or filing bankruptcy. What has changed where startups are doing better, not going out of business as quickly? Yeah, so that's a good question. Long-term businesses are going out of business more quickly. That seems like an yep. odd combination. I know it is odd. And, and the number one reason for that, Jordan, is because the businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, they stopped doing one thing. I call this aim, lack of aim. Always innovate and market. They stop innovating, they stop marketing. Toys R Us did nothing new in 75 years. Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix twice, and they sat back and did nothing. Many, many business owners that have been in business over 10 years are married to their original concept. They don't want to innovate. And they want to continue to do business the way they've always done. And we just mentioned earlier that consumers' purchasing habits have changed dramatically. So we need to go back to the client and ask them, what do you need? What do you want? How can we make it easier for you to do business with us? So if these existing businesses want to stay in business, they're going to have to innovate. They're going to have to market. They're going to have to go ask their clients those questions. As far as the startups, while only 30% of those businesses are going out of business, is because startups have changed dramatically. It used to be that startups would go, somebody, you know, startups were a lot of people leaving corporate America saying, oh my gosh, I've always dreamed of owning a coffee shop. I've always dreamed of opening a rest, owning a restaurant. They would go in and start another coffee shop, start a restaurant, but never really did their due diligence to learn that maybe there's 10 other coffee shops in the block <laughs> or 20 other restaurants in a mile. And they never really did their due diligence and they weren't really solving a problem, nor were they innovative. Now you have so many business owners, especially uh, Gen Zs, you got you got Gen Zs, you got millennials. The, these kids are starting businesses because they're looking at the problem, figuring out the solution, and they and all these businesses are innovative. There's something new. There's something unique. It's not the same old coffee shop, not the same old restaurant. That's the big difference. These business owners before had the build it and they will come mentality, like the build of dreams. You know, they thought if I go build a coffee shop. Uh, consumers will come. And that's why so many businesses go out of business because they cannibalize the marketplace. So what do you do to help an older business who's been around a long time that is not is not doing well and needs to innovate? How do you get them to change and innovate so that they stay in business? Well, number one, we work with them to, to put in a foundation because most businesses, regardless how long they've been in, don't operate on what I call all six cylinders, all six Ps, like we talk about in my book, Exit Rich. So the first thing we do is we work with them on the six Ps, number one being people. We want to make sure that they have some great leaders on their team. We want to make sure that they have some innovative minds on their team. Sometimes we need to bring in some fresh blood that sees things differently than, than the current CEO does. And... Um, so that's one of the biggest things that we do. Plus, we really ask them, you know, we, we sit down with them and ask them some transformational questions. You know, like, what business are you in? Amazon did that in the 90s. They asked themselves, what business are we in? And Amazon said, we're in a book fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. And then the second question, Amazon said, well, what are we really good at? What is our superpower? What is our secret sauce? And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else. And then Amazon said, well, what business should we be in? Should and Amazon said we should be in a fulfillment business fulfilling 
orders for everyone all around the order, all around the world. Those three transformational questions transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So that's what we do. We really sit down with the business owners and get them to think differently, get them out of the transactional and into the transformational. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker. She's an expert in mergers and acquisitions. Her new book is called Exit Rich, and you can find out more about her at her website, which is SeilerTucker.com. We'll be back after this. What do you spend on subscriptions each month? Most of us think we spend about $80 a month on subscriptions, but actually we can spend $200 a month or much more. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year with Truebill. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, cancel the ones you don't want, right from the app. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations. I've had a lot of people who have told me about Truebill and how much they've saved. One guy said he saved $660 a year on his DirecTV bill. Another one saved $120 a year on their Sirius XM bill. Another one $840 a year on their car insurance. Truebill has used over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. Start canceling your unused subscriptions now at Truebill.com slash money answers go right now to truebill.com slash money answers it could save you thousands of dollars a year become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable did you know that you can sell your policy for cash your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker. She's an expert in mergers and acquisitions. Her new book is called Exit Rich, and you can find out more at her website, SeilerTucker.com. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Jordan. So the key you say to selling a business is setting up in the first place so it is able to be sold, kind of thinking of the exit when you're still doing the entrance, I guess you might say. So let's go through some of the things you need to do to set it up to sell in the first place. The first one is um, uh, kind of having a, a destination in mind, I guess. 
Yeah, so let's talk about this a little bit. So the reason why it's so important to start with the end of mind, like Stephen Covey says, start with the end of mind. The reason why it's so important to start with your business exit when you're starting a business or buying a business is because what Steve Forbes says is true. Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. That should be a huge wake-up call for business owners because that means you have less than a 20% chance of success. And the number one reason for this is because business owners don't plan their exit strategy. Business owners think of their business as their baby. Oh my gosh, I'll never sell my baby. Business owners don't think about selling until an internal or external catastrophic event has occurred. Internal could be health issues, partners disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic we're in. And the worst time to sell your business, Jordan, is when you're in the middle of a catastrophe because your business is trending down. It's not doing well. You want to sell in your prime when your business is at, at its peak. So I work with my clients to follow what I call the STGPS exit model that we talk about in my book, Exit Rich. Number one, Jordan, when you want to drive somewhere, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in? Your destination. Your destination. What happens if you don't have a destination? You're probably not going to get there. You're not going to get there. Or you're going to drive around in circles. And that's what happens to business owners. They don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Business owners don't have a destination. So they're driving around in circles, driving up and down the financial hills to end up exiting poor. So number one, figure out what your destination is. Figure out what your end game, your desired sales price And pick a number. And Jordan, everybody gets hung up on a number, but it's just a number. You can always adjust it along the way. So let's say you want to sell for $10 million. Boom, there's a number, $10 million. Then what's the next step that your GPS exit model needs to know? Well, you want to to value, know your your current value before you create future value. So how do you know your current value? So the GPS exit model always needs to know where you're starting from. What is your current location? In other words, what is your current valuation? What is your business worth today? And one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make, Jordan, is they never get a business evaluation. You know, I just spoke to a guy the other day, he's been in business 40 years, never had his business evaluated. That's financial suicide. Your business is your most valuable asset. You need to get an annual valuation checkup because there are events to increase valuation, there are events to decrease valuation. This pandemic is a perfect example of that. And you go to an M&A expert to get that valuation checkup, not necessarily a CPA, because CPAs don't always know how to evaluate synergies. So let's say you wanna sell for $10 million, your current valuation is, is, let's say you're worth $2 million. Then the next thing you need to know is what's my time frame. Let's say you wanna do this in 10 years. Now we need to determine who your buyer is going to be. Now, Jordan, I said buyers and not buyer because I have so many clients that come to me and say, Michelle, Michelle, I already have the buyer. I just need you to represent me with this one buyer. And I always say, no, I'm not going to represent you unless you allow me to market it because I have to go in there. I have to fix your business. It's probably not operating in all six P's. Your financials are probably a disaster. We have to clean them up. We've got to get everything into a data room. And I can promise you the likelihood of that one buyer closing on the sale of your business is slim to none. Plus, how can we ever maximize value if we don't have competition with a party of one? So there are five types of buyers. Number one is first-time buyers. 90% of buyers are first-time buyers, Jordan. Mm-hmm. First-time buyers leave corporate America and they buy small businesses, dry cleaners, coffee shops, ice cream stores, retail, etc. Number two is turnaround specialists. They buy distressed assets. 
Number three is PEGs, private equity groups. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. A platform is, let's say that they want to get into food manufacturing. They won't even consider your food manufacturing business unless you have at least $3 million in EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. But if they're already in food manufacturing, then they'll look for add-ons to add to their existing platform then they'll consider your business under a million dollars in EBITDA. The fourth type of buyer are strategics and competitors, and they typically pay the highest multiple because they're buying your synergies. They're buying your patents, your databases, your contracts. They're buying those synergies that are going to help catapult your business to the next level. And, and so the then fifth, a lot, yeah. I'm sorry? The, the fifth kind of buyer then. The fifth kind of buyer is what I call storm chasers. <laughs> These are cash chasers. These are sophisticated entrepreneurs or industry agnostic, and they're chasing EBITDA. So those are the five types of buyers. So once you've got this plan, now you need to reverse engineer your plan and say, okay, well, if I want to sell for $10 million, where's my gross revenues, my operating expenses, my COGS need to be? Most importantly, where does the EBITDA need to end up at? And to sell for $10 million, you need to have an EBITDA around $2 million, depending upon your synergies. The next big question is, what are these buyers looking for? What is their buying criteria? What synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? And then you build your business from the beginning to meet their specific criteria. So what you have here now is not only a sellable asset, but a much more profitable, sustainable, scalable business. And it's kind of like... It's kind of like, Jordan, when you go into business, you're like, here's my widget. Here's my widget, right? Here's yep. my target my target audience. So you, when you start a business, you're like, this is my widget. This is my target audience. Everything you do in business is designed to attract that target audience to get them to buy your widget. Your business is your widget. <laughs> you need to build it for that target audience and build those synergies so that when you're ready, you can maximize value and cash out and exit rich. Yeah. Your next step is to know your time frame. So how does that make a difference in, in putting the business together to, to sell it ultimately? Yeah, so earlier we mentioned time frame. So if you're worth 10 million, so if you want to sell for 10 million and you're worth 2 million, it's really important to have a time frame of, of when you want to exit your business. You know, you don't want to get stuck in a business till 30, 40, 50 years later, like, oh my God, I hate this company and it's not worth anything. So you always want to have that timeline. It could be 15, it could be 20 years. Whatever your timeline is, you want to have a, 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 a time frame that you can stay on track. Yeah, even though there may be things that would change it, as you say, either internally or externally. Of course. To, you, yeah. you can't be too rigid about the time frame, the way things work out. And you can't be too rigid. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this is a plan. What we're trying to do is get business owners to structured exit plan so they have a much higher success rate of selling their business for maximum value and not following the statistics of 80% of businesses that never sell. And then your fifth step is to determine your why. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So if it's easy to sell a, a business for $10 million, wouldn't everybody be doing it? I think so. <laughs> so Jordan, that's why I always say your why has to be power, powerful enough. It has to be strong. It's got to keep you in the fight. It's got to keep you hungry. It's got to keep you motivated. It's got to keep you, you know, willing to, to weather all the different financial storms and pandemics that come our way. You got to have a powerful why. I mean, business isn't easy. And if you don't have a great, powerful why to keep you in the game, then you're probably not going to stay in it for long. So how do different businesses get valued differently? Uh, I mean, a certain amount of EBITDA, but you're going to get a bigger multiple in some industries than others. How is that multiple 
uh, calculated? So uh, the multiple is typically cap- calculated off of EBITDA, off of adjusted EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And it's typically a multiple of EBITDA. Unless you're in SaaS company software, then it's typically a multiple of gross revenues. Every other industry is a multiple of EBITDA. And, you know, there's, there's when we do valuations, there's six different methods we use. One of the biggest methods is the six Bs. If a business is running on all six cylinders, if they've got, you know, people in place, have got a strong management team, they're in a thriving, uh, they have a thriving product, thriving industry, their processes are all buttoned up, they've got proprietary assets like contracts, databases, um, things of that nature, they've got customer diversification and they're pretty profitable, they're going to sell for a higher multiple. You know, what What determines value is what determines value is the buyers that we're able to bring to the table. Because buyers, you know, I have a, I, I'll have a number in my head based upon 20 plus years of experience. The seller always has a number in their head and theirs are typically unrealistic because theirs are based on what they need, not what the value of their company is. And then the buyer determines value of what that value of that business will do for them and how it can catapult their, their current business to the next level. So a buyer might be willing to pay more money for a certain contract, for a certain databases. I mean, if you look at Facebook, they paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. They weren't making any money at all. So it's really important that you build these proprietary assets, build these synergies, because when you do you'll ha- and you get your EBITDA over a million, you'll, have, you'll be able to create a bidding war. Is it similar in the private and public markets for the valuation? So technology companies are going to have a much higher PE in the public markets than a, a supermarket or something that's kind of you know, not. Public companies will typically trade at a higher multiple than private. And why is that? Well, they're a much bigger company. They typically have a lot higher EBITDA. And the higher the EBITDA, typically the higher the multiple, again, if, if that company has all the synergies, but the higher the EBITDA, you know, just let me give you a quick crash course. For businesses that have under a million dollars in EBITDA, other than SaaS companies, they'll probably start anywhere from one to three, three and a half times EBITDA. Businesses over a million dollars in EBITDA typically will start at five and up. Yeah. So depending makes- upon those synergy assets, those synergies. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Uh, she is the CEO of Seiler-Tucker, Inc. Uh, she's the author of a new book called Exit Rich. And you can find out more about her and her uh, mergers and acquisition services at her website, SeilerTucker.com. We'll be back after this. How has your 401k been performing? Does it seem like it could be doing better? Are you confused about what you're investing in? Does having an entire portfolio tied up in stocks and mutual funds cause you to be uneasy or make you feel like you don't really have control over your financial future, especially in such turbulent times? Do you feel you're missing out on hot asset classes, such as cryptocurrencies, real estate, or gold, but don't have the cash on hand to invest? Do you wish there's a more options way to diversify your portfolio? Does your traditional IRA company only offer public investments like stocks, bonds, and mutual funds? Equity Trust Company offers administrative and custodial services for tax-advantaged retirement accounts like IRAs and investor tools that allow you to easily diversify into alternative investments in the private market. Not many people know that you have the power to take control of your financial future 
by investing your retirement account in areas you're excited and passionate about, such as cryptocurrencies, real estate fix and flips, gold, and nearly any other private market opportunity. From a returns perspective, the numbers don't lie. Historically, alternative assets have resulted in better returns than public market investments by big margins. The secret to unlocking investment freedom is opening a self-directed account with a company that will allow these investments and knows how to handle them. That's Equity Trust Company. It was named the best overall self-directed IRA company for 2021 by Investopedia. Equity Trust helps you unleash your potential as an investor with knowledgeable reps and technology to make this experience easy. Unleash your investing potential with Equity Trust. Learn more at investorunleashed.com backslash Jordan to get started. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler Tucker. She is the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker, Inc., which is a company helping in the mergers and acquisitions field. Her new book is called Exit Rich, and you can find out more at her website, SilerTucker.com. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Jordan. You talk about different types of goals when you're setting up your business in the first place. What are A-type goals? Well, you got your A, B, and C. A-type goals are goals that are pretty easy to obtain. So let's say, let's say you drive a certain type of car. What type of car do you drive, Jordan? I have a Lexus, actually. Okay, so you have a Lexus. So what model? I've got the hybrid, the ES hybrid. Okay. So you got a Lexus, you got a hybrid. And A-Type Go was, is where you would say, you know what? I want to get another Lexus, same model, within a year. Okay. The reason I call that A-Type Go is because it's very easy to obtain. You've already accomplished it. It's not going to take you much effort. It's not going to really take you outside of your comfort zone. And you're going to be able to accomplish it within your time frame. Those are A goals. B goals are, let's say that you have a nice house worth about a half a million dollars. And you really want to upgrade and, and move into a million dollar home in a gated community on a golf course. Well, that's going to be a little bit of a stretch, right? That might take you a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Still obtainable. Um, but it's going to stretch you a little bit more from a financial standpoint, from a skill set standpoint. Those are B-type goals. C-type goals are those goals where you say, you know what? 
I'm going to sell my company for $50 million <laughs> or $15 million or $20 million or whatever it is. This is really going to stretch you because you have to build that $20 million company or that $50 million company or that $100 million company. And it's really going to stretch you way beyond your comfort level. You know, uh, the, uh, the way that you operated at a million-dollar company is not the way you're going to operate a $20 million company or a $50 million company. So there's going to be a lot of growth along the way. It's going to stretch you way outside your comfort zone. You're going to have to get different, you know, different team, different partners, different mentors along the way. Those are the Steve type goes. Yeah. Why don't you talk about what you do? Uh, that's different from a lot of, there are business brokers. There's a whole bunch of business brokers out there doing something similar. Why is what you do different and better than the other ones out there? Well, there's a big difference. First of all, business brokers sell pizzerias, coffee shops, ice cream stores. They sell small businesses typically under, you know, $2 million, a million dollars. I'm a mergers and acquisitions mastery intermediary, a certified mergers and acquisitions professional, senior business analyst, and a bunch of other acronyms behind my name. I have over 20 years of experience. Most of these business brokers have maybe one to two, three years of experience. In addition to that, I've owned multiple companies in different verticals. Most of them haven't even owned the business before. Big difference is we also fix businesses. Most of them don't fix businesses. They don't even know how to properly evaluate a business, let alone fixing the business. Most of them don't really know the infrastructure or, or you know, how the, the six cylinders a business needs to operate on. Um, you know, many of them have a pretty low closing ratio. I mean, the average in business brokerage community is less than 40%. I close 98% of offers I write. And on average, I get my clients a 20 to 40% higher selling price because we're able to create bidding wars because we have multiple buyers. A lot of business brokers can't do that. So there's a big difference between business brokers and M&A advisors to begin with. What is the international situation today? Are there a lot of uh, buyers coming from overseas wanting to buy businesses in, the, in America? I mean, it's defined a lot, you know. <laughs> I want to say there's millions upon millions, but, you know, it's always been a pretty, you know, buyers from overseas has always been pretty healthy. You know, we always get several buyers from overseas. You know, I wouldn't say a lot, a lot, um, but it's it's definitely something that we've done for 20 years is working with overseas buyers. And we're working with overseas businesses, too. We have businesses that we're working with in other countries, such as Canada, Australia, the U.K., so when you have somebody come to you with a business they want to sell, what are you looking for that will you'll take them on as a client and what we would not want to take them on as a client? Well, number one, I want to make sure that they're going to listen. <laughs> you know, I've worked with a lot of clients that do the exact opposite of what we tell them to do. And when we tell them to do things, it's to protect them, it's to protect their companies, to protect their employees. Um, so we want to make sure that we work with somebody who's coachable, somebody who can listen, somebody who realizes, you know, that we are the experts. We have sort of a thousand businesses in every vertical you can imagine. And, um, you know, somebody who is motivated to sell. And so you're saying that's not all everybody. True. They, they say yeah. they want to sell, but they don't really want to. Or There's they a lot of business owners that think they want to sell. And this is the psychology part of it. In my book, Exit Rich, I talk about the psychology of selling, um, the seller's sanity check, when should you sell your business, timing is everything. We actually walk through different processes with our clients and we help them really determine what is the most important thing to them. Is it the price? Is it what they walk away with? Is it their employees? Is it making sure they take care of their clients, making sure that they, the new owner grows their legacy? Um, it's not always price, So, but it's important to really identify 
what the priorities are to the seller. And then it's also extremely important to help the seller identify what they're going to do next. What is their beginning strategy? Because a seller will never, ever close on a seller in their business if they haven't planned their next phase, if they haven't planned out their beginning strategy. I'll give you a perfect example. We're selling a manufacturing company, husband and wife. And I bought them three LOIs, three love and tents. Each one of them met their terms and conditions. They net picked each LOI. They net picked each buyer. They had something to say about every single one of them. And they were great offers. And I sat the husband and wife sat down. And I said, look, we're done here. <laughs> Taking you off the market. You need to go figure out what you want to do next once we sell your business. Come back to me when you've done some soul searching and figure that out. A month and a half later, they came back to me and they said, okay, Michelle, I figured it out. We want to we want to buy or um, or start a bed and breakfast. They were high school sweethearts and their families used to travel to different B and B's all around the country. And they said we were always passionate about bed and breakfasts. That's what we want to do. And the very next offer I bought them, they accepted. We closed on their business within 90 days, and they bought a B and B. So you, you talked about the, the the sanity check. Is that what you're talking about? For what what are some of the steps in the sanity check for a a seller, in addition to what you just talked about, knowing what your next gig is going to be. Well, the big thing for a seller is to know, you know, okay, if they're, if they're going to sell their business, how much debt do they have? What what number do they really need? Because sellers will come to me and say, Michelle, you know, I want to sell my business for less than $15 million. I'm like, well, your business is really only worth about $5 million. <laughs> How do you come up with that number? And sellers always come up with that number based upon what they need to enter the next phase of their life, whether that's retirement, um, purchasing another business, whatever that might be. Buyers don't care what you need. Buyers care about what the value is. So we're really trying to figure out what is it that the seller needs. Is it 15 million? Is it five? Is it 10? Because a lot of times they don't even know. So we sit down with them. We figure out what their monthly expenses are. You know what their what their cost of living is. How many years you know they're expected to live, and really kind of figure out. How much money do they need? Because we work with different advisors and we have different resources like deferred trust accounts um, that, that we can help a seller invest their money correctly. And maybe they don't need that $15 million. Maybe they only need that 5 to, to, to $7 million. So we really sit down with them to figure out what that need is, number one. We also figure out, like I said, what's the most important thing to them, you know, from the standpoint of growing their legacy, staying in the business. A lot of times business owners want to sell their business, but they still want to remain. They still want to stay in, stay in the business, either retaining equity or just um, with, with benefits and, and salary. Is that often a good idea for the, the owner who sells to stay in it for the long term? Um, from a partnership standpoint, a lot of times it is. Um, we got a company that we're looking at that we're selling in the 60 to $70 million range. And the owner, even though they have 350 employees, the owner is, is a very integral part of the company. And the buyer definitely wants to keep the owner around, so they're going to sell 80%. And the owner is just so motivated to partner with somebody so they can grow their company into a $100, $200 million business. So that's why we really sit down with the owners to figure out what are your objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, it's not always selling. A lot of times it's, it's partying with a private equity group or a strategic that really has deeper pockets that can grow their legacy to the next level. Yeah. People go to business school 
uh, often to join another company, but more and more of them are becoming entrepreneurs. Is, is that a good way to learn a business, to, to become a successful entrepreneur? No. <laughs> What's wrong with business school? The professors are going to get mad at me, but no. <laughs> I got, you know, look, we have a really good internship program. We're, we're lucky to be in between four different colleges, one of them being Tulane. And, um, uh, you know, we have MBAs that come to us and they don't, they don't learn anything. They, they learn theory. They don't learn tactical. You really learn doing. You really learn. Yes, you can go to business school, but that's not where you're going to learn everything. You're going to learn by doing. You know, if you're really thinking about buying a business in an industry you've never been in before, maybe go volunteer in that industry. Go do an internship. Go do something so you can really get your feet wet to make sure that's an industry you're going to like to be in. So you're saying some people get into businesses not really knowing what they're getting into. First-time buyers, for sure. Not, not, not. When we talk about small businesses, yes. Middle market, no. These private equity groups, these strategics, these competitors, these sophisticated entrepreneurs, they know what they're doing. Um, first-time buyers typically will get into businesses that they think they're going to love, and they end up hating them. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, very good. Um, <laughs> when you watch Shark Tank, you probably do. What do you think of the, the pitches that people are making there to get equity in their businesses? Well, you know, I tell you, uh, most of most of the most of the attendees on Shark Tank, uh, the guests on Shark Tank, um, they way overvaluate their business, way overvaluate. And we work with clients to get them on Shark Tank. We've had um, a client that just recently got on Shark Tank, and we worked with them on valuations, worked with them. We really went over the numbers with them. They didn't know. They have a manufacturing company. They did not know their numbers at all. We went over valuations and helped them structure a deal. They ended up getting the deal from two sharks, and they'll be on, in, I think, in September, October. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so if you're well, thinking, thinking about getting on Shark Tank, come see me. <laughs> well, it sounds like you can help them be appropriate, as you say, if they're offering too high a price, it's not going to work. But if they're appropriate, they'll have a better chance. Well, that's to get a it. lot of times why the sharks, you know, will pass on their on their deal because the valuation is so high that it's just too unrealistic. And that's what sellers do when they want to sell their business. They come up with this extraordinary price where there's no value whatsoever to support their number, and buyers just walk away. So you got to have a realistic valuation when you go on a Shark Tank, especially when you go to sell your business. Yes. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, an expert in mergers and acquisitions. Her newest book is called Exit Rich, and you can find out more at her website, SeilerTucker.com. We'll be back after this. I write a great deal since I've done 13 books, given many speeches, and I'm constantly writing emails, blogs, and memos of all types. I often have to write under deadline pressure, and I want to make sure that everything I write is correct grammatically and is said as clearly as possible. Now I use an app called WordTune, which makes sure that everything I write is the best it can be. It's like having a writing expert on call at any time to look at my drafts and suggest improvements. Now I don't have to waste time agonizing over the perfect sentence because WordTune offers the best alternatives, and I pick the one I like best, and it makes the changes in my text instantly. I was recently writing up a business proposal, and WordTune gave me just the right words to get across why the people I was writing to should approve the deal. You wand over the sentence or the block of text you've just written, and WordTune then suggests ways to improve it. And if I agree, I just click 
and the changes are made. Using WordTune makes me confident that what I write will be optimized for maximum impact. What you write impacts how people perceive you, both positively or negatively. So it shapes your prospects for success. That's why it's so important to write as well as possible. WordTune is powered by artificial intelligence, which means that it understands meanings of words and context, so you can feel confident that you're writing it as smart as you are every time. It understands what you're trying to say and suggests ways to say it more clearly, more compellingly, and more authentically. WordTune uses the most advanced language processing technology out there. No other writing tool does what WordTune does. It's a complete game changer. WordTune is ideal for professional writers looking for an edge, managers aiming to make their points more clearly, and students who want to turn in their best work. WordTune works anywhere you're working online. It connects with Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, and many other applications. You can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Get help today writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, and everything else. Go to wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, expert in mergers and acquisitions. Her latest book is called Exit Rich. You can find out more at her website, SylerTucker.com. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit more about what services they can find at SylerTucker.com. So we, the services that, that they can find at SellerTalker.com is if you want to sell a business, we've been doing that over 20 years, over 1,000 transactions. If you want to buy a business, 
we can certainly help you buy a business, especially if you're um, a private equity group, strategic competitor, or even a first-time buyer. If you're looking to build your business to sell, we have a Road to Sell program where we really help business owners build their business so that we can bridge that valuation gap and get them the price that they want. And if they're looking to merge with another company, we can assist them with that as well. And then we also uh, really, really specialize in valuations. Very good. Now, people can get the book Exit Rich on Amazon, but you have a special uh, website, exitrichbook.com. What else can they get there in addition to the book? Sure. So if anybody lives outside the United States, I do encourage you to go to Amazon because of the shipping costs. Go to Amazon in Canada, Amazon in your country. Um, inside the United States, I encourage you to go to exitrichbook.com for $24.79 plus shipping. We will email you the digital download, ship the hardcover to your doorstep. We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. There we have video content where we take really deep dives in these different strategies and techniques that I've been teaching over the last 20 years in the trenches. Plus, most importantly, we have documents, documents to operate your business and documents to sell your company. So examples, um, employee handbooks or charts, policy and procedure manuals. We have to sell your business, sample letter of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing documents, everything you need to sell your business and operate your business are there for your review. And I can promise you, Jordan, if you went to go recreate all these documents, it would literally cost you over $50,000 to do so. I know because I spent the money with attorneys. And then we're also offering a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind, where we really help business owners pivot and build that sustainable, scalable, and sellable business when they're ready. That's all at ExitRichBook.com. If you do buy the book on Amazon, just email us at marketing at salartucker.com and we'll still make sure you get the bonuses. What are some of the biggest profit mistakes that businesses make that don't take full advantage of their uh, opportunities? Well, the biggest, the biggest, there's so many, but, but some of the biggest mistakes are our businesses, business owners are working in their business, not on their business. So, so many businesses are not sellable because business owners have created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And that's why the six P's are so important. They don't have the right people in the right seat and they're really involved in the trenches in their business. So that's a huge profit mistake. Also, the second P is product. A lot of business owners have one way they get paid. They have one profit center. And that's why so many restaurants closed up during this pandemic because the only way they get paid is if patrons go in and eat or take food to go. And they have no e-commerce sites. They have no other resources to make money. They have no other residual revenue streams. So you really want to have multiple profit centers. Uh, the other big profit mistake is, is in processes, which is the third P. So many business owners really haven't buttoned up their processes. And if you haven't designed your processes with the customer experience in mind and create wow experiences for your clients, you're going to lose market share. That's number one. If you're if you're processes are also not productive and efficient, it can cost you a lot of money in overhead. The fourth um, P, which is proprietary, there's so many profit mistakes here. Number one is a lot of business owners will go to and get a state trademark for their company name. 
but they never check the federal database to make sure that that name is available. And I've seen so many business owners <laughs> be in business for 5, 10, 15 years and all of a sudden receive a assist letter in the mail and they have to stop using that company name and start all over again. So that's a huge profit mistake. Another one is contracts. A lot of business owners have manufacturing, distribution, franchisor contracts, client contracts. But the biggest mistake I see is that business owners don't have the transferability clause in their contracts. This is going to kill your deal. 98% of sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So you need that transferability language in your contracts. That's a huge profit mistake. Um, the other one is having customer concentration. We call this the fifth P, which is patrons. So many, so many business owners have 80% to 90% of their revenue tied up in one, two, three, or four clients. I mean, we're selling a business right now that has 70% of the revenue with one client. If they lose that client, they're literally out of business. Huge, huge profit mistake. And then the last P is profits um, in our 6P in our 6P infrastructure. And I always say, Jordan, that lack of profits is never the problem. It's always the symptom of not operating one of the other five Ps. So another big profit issue is that a lot of business owners don't know their numbers. They're very close to going out of business and they have no clue. So mm-hmm. you really need to know your numbers. You really need to have your KPIs. And also, you know, you, you gotta have people in your organization, but you gotta trust but verify. You gotta inspect what you expect. So many business owners, I think it's one out of four business owners or five business owners get embezzled every single year because business owners are not inspecting what they expect. They turn their books, they turn their records, they turn their banking over to somebody they trust in their company and they never check. We just had a client come in today and is hiring us to sell his business and he wanted us to go through all of his banking records to see if his um, if his bookkeeper is embezzling money from him. Crazy. It's crazy. Yep. <laughs> Happens every time. Like I said, one out of four, I think it's one out of three or four businesses will get embezzled. That's crazy. So how do you create a bidding war among buyers? Uh, we've gone to some of this, but in, in the uh, three minutes we have left, what yeah. what does you do to, uh, to get a bidding war going? I mean, this is happening well, real one, all the time. Yeah, number one, you have to have a really good M&A expert that knows what they're doing, that has you know thousands of buyers that they work with. You know, our database has thousands upon thousands of buyers. And so the first thing we do when we sell a business is we go to our existing database. But the way to create a bidding war is typically... You know, if you have the high EBITDA of over a million dollars, we're going to have more buyers for your business. If you're in some of the industries that are hot, 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 like manufacturing, healthcare, staffing, distribution, IT, you know, these industries are really hot, hot right now. Transportation um, is hot as well. So we know we're going to be able to bring a lot of buyers to, to the table. The other way to create a bidding war is really building those synergies because buyers will outbid other buyers for synergies. I'll tell you a quick story. We had an oil manufacturing business that operated on all five cylinders except for patrons. That customer concentration had 65% of their revenue tied up in the BP. We appraised the business for $9.8 million. We had over 500 buyers look at it. We narrowed it down to 12 letter of intents. But each letter of intent had contingencies in there because they were trying to mitigate their risk in case the company lost BP. And our owners said, we're not going to do that, Michelle. Find another buyer. So we did. We found a strategic buyer that had similar products and services to our client. 
but they have been trying to get into BP for decades and can never get in the door. So they said, Michelle, we're not going to lose this bid. We want our products inside of BP. They knew if they got that contract, it would catapult their current business to the next level. So they bid $15 million for 70% of the company, which is 129% more than what their price business wow. was. So it's the synergies that really create the bidding wars. Very good. But you've got to have an advisor that knows what they're doing. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, very good. We've learned an awful lot. My guest this hour has been Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Uh, her website is SeilerTucker.com. Her book is called Exit Rich, and I think we've learned an awful lot about how to sell your business and how to run your business. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Michelle. Thank you, Jordan. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.